psalmist of old said, My heart stands in awe of your words. Psalm 119 and verse 161. It would have been fascinating to be one of the apostles of Jesus. Imagine listening to them after Jesus ascended to heaven as they talked about the experiences they were blessed to have with him during his earthly ministry for about three years. There are expressions that we might use today that can only be intensified when we think about being with Jesus the way the apostles were. What just happened? What just happened? Can you believe what he just did? And the response to Jesus that they typically had was that of amazement, astonishment, awe, and praise. What I'd like to do is look at Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 33 with you this morning. Lessons learned during a storm. And what I'd like to do is approach this passage in three different ways. Three different approaches to one Bible passage. Because what we all need to keep in mind is, what did he just do? Can you believe it? And we need to be astonished and amazed in awe and praise Him for what He does and who He is. And really, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, that is what this passage is all about. Three approaches. Approach number one. This is something you've heard me say many times in preaching and teaching. What does this passage say about God? What does this passage say about God in Matthew 14, 22 through 33? Follow the passage and let's see. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, it says, Jesus is sovereign. That means that he's the master of the universe. That means that he's in control. It means he's got the whole world in his hands. He dismisses the crowd. Matthew 14, 21 says 5,000 men had just been fed with five loaves and two fishes, not counting women and children. So the total number could easily have been 20,000 or more. He dismisses the crowds and he compels, he tells the apostles to get on board the boat. He's in control. When you really look at the overall message of the Bible, 
The Lord God omnipotent reigns, Revelation 19.6. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Revelation 19 and verse 16. So in the opening couple of verses, we are introduced to the setting, and it's that Jesus is sovereign, secondly. Look at verses 24 and 25 of Matthew 14. Jesus knows what we go through. He's all-knowing. And what's significant about this is he knows that the apostles are going to be in a boat during a storm and that they're going to be spending six or seven hours rowing and, and trying to hang on for dear life, as we would say. He knows what is going to happen because of his knowledge, his being all-knowing. He knows all things. Acts 1, 24, and 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. And the same Lord who knew what was going to happen to the apostles knows what is going on and what will go on in our lives. And he cares. He cares. That brings me to verses 26 and 27. When you look at Matthew 14, 26, and 27, Jesus is present. Now, I got to tell you, for six or seven hours, they were wondering, where is Jesus? He's gone to the mountain to pray. They're facing a, a real storm, and they are concerned. And when you look at this passage, when they see the shadowy figure out in the distance, initially they think it's a ghost or a phantom that they're seeing. Verse 27 of Matthew 14 is the key verse to the entire section. It begins and ends with a command. Take heart. That's a positive command. Do not be afraid. That takes care of the negative. And sandwiched in between is it is I. And what Jesus is saying, listen, is I am. Does that sound familiar? I am here. I am present. I know what's been going on. I know what you've been going through. I am present. And there is something remarkably encouraging for us today when we think about who Jesus is to understand and appreciate that he is present with us in all of our trials, in all of our difficulties, in all of our storms, just as he was present then. And just as the apostles did not immediately recognize Jesus being there, isn't that often the way it is?
in our storms. Continue with me. Look at verses 28 through 31. And what does this passage tell us about Jesus? I'll tell you what, it tells us about the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus. He is so loving that he acknowledges Peter's request to let me come out and be with you. You see, in Peter's way of thinking, this is not really a, a mark of arrogance or not knowing his limits. Had it been, Jesus wouldn't have said, Come, Adam. He tells him to come on. What Peter is thinking is this. I'd rather be in the deep with Jesus than in the boat without him. I'd rather be in the deep with Jesus than in the boat without him. I've experienced what being without him is in the boat for several hours, and he's right there, and I want to be where he is. You getting the point? And the Lord lovingly and graciously says, Come on. Look at verse 32 of Matthew 14. What does it tell us about Jesus? This verse just reeks. It's saturated. It smells with the aroma of heaven, God's power, because what's happening is this. There is no indication this time where Jesus says, Peace be still. They just get back in the boat, Jesus and Peter, boom! The winds cease. The storm is over. Jesus doesn't even snap his fingers. And a storm that had them shrieking and afraid for their lives and thinking that that shadowy image in the distance was a ghost or phantom, how glad they were that it was Jesus. How often we see God's power and blessing after the fact. His goodness. That's how our God is. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, verses 6 through 8. But finally, when you look at this passage, consider verse 33. And Ryder just did a great job here during the Lord's Supper meditation talking with us about why are we here. All of the prior items concerning the character of God that Jesus, that I just mentioned, God the Son, comes out. And now you find them the worth of Jesus. All wonder and praise. They worship him and say, truly, this is the Son of God. 
in public worship, family worship, private worship, whatever the specific uh, number, whether individual or family or collective, we respond to God's greatness with praise and wonder and awe and amazement. Worship ought to do that. And if it doesn't, something's the matter with our worship. Now that's one approach. That's one approach to this passage. And that'll preach, amen? And not only will it preach, it'll practice, amen? Because we need to keep that in mind about Jesus. Approach number two, however. Not just what does the passage say about God, but who are the main characters and what is God trying to tell us with each? Who are the main characters and what is God trying to tell us with each one? Let's look at the main characters. First of all, Jesus. Jesus. What is God trying to tell us in this passage about Jesus. He's trying to tell us that Jesus is our King and the Son of God. Jesus is our King and He's the Son of God. I understand some people being very interested in politics, American politics, world politics, but we ought to be a lot more interested in the government of heaven. He is our king. Note John's account in this. In John 6 and verse 14, after the 5,000 men were fed not including the women and children, again, maybe as many as 20,000, they wanted to take Jesus by force and make him a king. How do you take the king and make him a king? And do it by force. That shows some confusion and misunderstanding, I would say. But the passage ends with them acknowledging that the king is the son of God. Verse 33. Jesus is our king and God's one and only God's unique son. That's something for us to learn about Jesus and keep in mind. But here's a special lesson, a second lesson to think about. A big one. Jesus shows us the importance of time alone with God. 
Jesus shows the importance of time alone with God. Now, Thomas, if the one who is the king and the very son of God really felt while he was here on earth the need and the importance to spend time with God, how much more should you, how much more should I, how, should, how much more should all of us? Time alone with God. They wanted to make him a king. And the Lord wanted to go and be alone with the Father. And notice what he does. Jesus emphasizes solitude with God. Time with God. I tend to think that this world is full of so much noise and so much technology. We need to simplify things in emphasizing the importance of time alone with God. And he goes to a mountain and he prays for hours. I know that he's praying about his relationship with God, and I'm sure he's praying for the apostles because he knows that they're, they're in the midst of the storm and they're rowing, and they're, they're being beaten by the waves and oppressed by the wind and the storm. He knows all of that. But he has to have time alone with God. Here is something that every Christian, every brother or sister needs to let sink in. The Lord does this between feeding the 5,000, walking on water, and giving the bread of life discourse in John chapter 6, verses 35 through 51. And if he felt the need to do that in his life and ministry and service, shouldn't we feel a similar need in our important decisions, in our trials, in our difficulties to spend time alone? Ministry cannot be effective in the long term if ministry does not include Time with God. You hear me, Cana? And Jesus teaches us that so powerfully. And sometimes we tend to think that we can make it. And there are too many people in the Lord's church that are trying to serve others when they have nothing in their tank to give. And so there's a lot of malnourished people. That brings me to Peter. If Jesus teaches us about the importance of time alone with God and how even the king and God's son did that, how much more should the servant and God's child 
do it today. Well, Peter teaches us this lesson. He teaches us about the essence of faith. He teaches us the essence of faith. He's one of the primary characters here. Why does God include this? Why is this miracle included in the Word of God for us to think about and ponder? Because Peter is teaching us about the essence of faith. Faith is about focusing on Jesus. And faith is about trusting in Jesus. Isn't that simple? It's really simple to understand. But when we encounter storms and trials and difficulties, it's a whole lot harder. Peter initially was focused on Jesus. And you know what? He's the only mere human that ever walked on water before or since. As long as his focus was on Jesus, it was amazing what could occur in one's life. And the passage describes things so marvelously, though. When he heard the wind... Have y'all ever heard a lot of wind or windbags in your life when you're in trial and difficulty? And when he saw the waves, we start to see things and we start to hear things and then all of a sudden we start to doubt our king and the son of God and what happened when Peter did that. He sank. But he shows us the essence of faith again because he cries out, Lord, save me. (laughs) And you know that ghost that wasn't a ghost, that phantom that wasn't a phantom, he takes his literal arm and his literal hand and he reaches out and he grabs Peter's literal hand and brings him back up. That's what Jesus did. And what Jesus says, he kind of scolds him. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? What about the people that I've just fed? What about the fact that you have just seen me walking on the water? What about the fact that I have loved you and been gracious enough to say, Come, and and you've walked on water too. And what you have heard and what you have seen has caused you to doubt. Thankfully, there's nobody here that's ever lost focus of Jesus and failed to trust him because of what they heard from somebody or what they saw. That was just Peter, huh? The 
apostles. Can you believe what he just did? How on earth could he have done this? The only way he could is that he was not merely from earth, though fully God-man. Listen now to the apostles. What lesson do we learn from them? Matthew 14, 22, and 23, we learn first of all the lesson of humble obedience. If he's the king and the son of God, humble obedience is the proper response. Not proud hard-headedness and stubbornness and obstinance. Humble obedience. They got in the boat knowing that Jesus had gone elsewhere. In Matthew 8, 23 through 27, he's with them. You think it ever entered their minds, where is Jesus? And he's the one that sent us on this trip. Humble obedience is always the appropriate response to our King and our God, Jesus. They may have gotten tuckered out. They could have started saying all kinds of things. Man, we have just worn ourselves out here and Jesus sent us into this? We are seeing an image off in the distance that looks like a ghost. That can get somebody kind of scared. And the text says literally, the apostles shrieked. They were so scared at that image in the distance that they shrieked. That's the idea in the original. And so Jesus says, take heart. I am here. Be not afraid. When you think about the apostles here and how their, their response, I believe, is in the Bible to show us a positive response to Jesus as King and Jesus as God's Son. Humble obedience. Secondly, trust even when we do not understand why. Jesus knew what was going to be awaiting the apostles, his knowledge, a storm. And Jesus chose to have them to go to a storm so that they would better learn to appreciate that he's the king and he is the son of God. And you know what? 
part of me is willing to say I would be willing to go through an awful lot of storms in life if it would help me to better see that he's my king and that he is God's son. Can you believe what Jesus did? I was there. And then, and then, the, pro, the appropriate response, Daryl, is worship and praise and wonder and thanks. Where are the apostles? They're exactly where they ought to be. They're at the feet of Jesus. They proskuneo, they worshiped him. They fell down on their feet and they adored him and praised him and were in awe of him. And they say, truly, Scott, truly, truly this is the Son of God. Earlier God had said, this is my beloved Son, Matthew 3, 17. After that, the demons, remember the demons that would be cast into the sea? We know who you are. You're the Son of God. Well, now the apostles say, truly, this is the Son of God. Now, lastly, why should we worship and praise and be astonished by Jesus? Isaiah 43 and verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I am with you. When you pass through the waters, I'm with you. God is saying in the Old Testament what the apostles are literally seeing in Matthew 14. When you pass through the waters, I am with you. In Job 38 and verse 16, in a section of the Old Testament where God says, All right, Job, you've got a lot of questions. Now let me give you a few questions. Where were you when I walked the recesses of the sea? You know what? Just recently we had a submarine that just imploded, it seems, and killed everybody on it. Very wealthy people. God says in Job 38, 16, I've not just walked on water, I've walked down on the bottom of the sea. It's my creation. I know what's there. In Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, the idea is that he is in control of the sea. And the idea, the picture, you know how 
I love this with little kids, and I like to be with little kids when it finally rains around here because they will go and find a puddle, and what is a child going to do upon encountering a puddle? You know what? God tramples the waves just like a child will trample in a puddle. Job chapter 9, verses 8 and 9 speak of a similar truth. When we think of the, the book of Jonah, think of the role the sea plays. You know, the big storm, and Jonah's in the deep, and then the, the big fish, and all of that, and the fish uh, uh, spews him out of his mouth. The sea was a dangerous place, wasn't it? When you find yourself in dangerous, trying times, when you wonder whether or not you're going to make it, the Lord, who's the king of heaven and earth and everything in it, and who's the son of God, will be there. He comes and he helps in his own time. Sometimes I think I got a better sense of timing than God. Don't you? Sometimes God and I have a little disagreement about when he ought to come along to help me. But God knows exactly what we need. And he responds in his good time, focusing on Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. That's the essence of faith. Don't listen to what you hear or what you think you see to make you think you know better than Jesus. Look at how this passage divides itself. Go with me, if you would, to the passage again in Matthew 14. How do we take this and turn it back into praise and worship and awe and amazement to God? Matthew 14, 22 and 23. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The apostles couldn't very well turn back. They were three, four, five miles away from land. But when we make the willful decision to focus and trust him, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Look at verses 24 through 26. They are exhausted. They have been fighting the waves for seven or eight hours, possibly that length of time, in a storm. It's dark. When life is at its darkest and you are struggling and you're asking yourself, where is the Lord? The song maybe to remember is, Be Still My Soul. How many times have we allowed some thunder 
and a little rain. A small storm, Kirk. To scare us out of our wits. When a focus on who Jesus is and a trust in Him would have been so helpful. It's not a ghost. It's not an apparition. Jesus has come. And because of Him we have life. Even if we die. Verse 27, I said earlier, was the key verse. Where Jesus says to them, Take heart. Take heart. Be encouraged. It is I. I'm here. I am here. Do not be afraid. The song I think about that we often sing. Be with me, Lord, I cannot live without you. I dare not take one step alone. I cannot bear the storms of life unaided. I need your grace, your strength every hour. Look at verses 28 through 31. 28 through 31 of Matthew 14. I've decided to follow Jesus. And when trials and great difficulties come, be still, my soul. Help me to remember. Be with me, Lord. I trust you. I'm going to focus on you. And when we sometimes think the song to remember here in 28 through 31 is love lifted me. You see, in a sense that's very real, we all were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard our despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me. Safe am I. Every passage ought to be the basis for praise and worship to our King, the Son of God. And then verses 32 and 33. Every time I think about this song, I think about the fellow who shares my birthday on row two here, even though there's a few years difference. Alan, whenever they moved here, the song you typically led was what? Whenever you first moved here, what song did you lead most of the time? A few Packers, other times. See, you have grown so much, you have forgotten I have not grown so much that I have forgotten. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Wouldn't it be great that every time we gathered to worship, 
we left having glorified the King of Kings and then continued to do it as we walked out the doors. What a passage of Scripture. We will never exhaust the power and intricacy and beauty of God's Word. It's all simply a display that it comes from the divine hand, from God. All right, friends. What trial and storm and difficulty is causing you to hear something other than what God says? And what circumstances are getting your sight and vision and attention rather than the Son of God? No one can say that today's lesson hasn't been for us. If you're not a Christian, come to Jesus who's willing to reach down. And think about this. Think about this whole thing, this whole scenario. Adam, think about this, preacher brother. The pictures that we're given here is this. Jesus is up on the mountain and he's doing what? Communing with God. So reminiscent of Jesus up in glory, brother Clay communicating with his father, something that they had experienced through all eternity. Meanwhile, people that he loved were in a storm. And so he left the mountain and communing with God and came to the sea of humanity and the sea of sin to deliver and to rescue those that he loves. Do you get the picture? Because sometimes even in the particulars of the miracle, there is a general principle that is just as true. And he reaches down with his saving arm. And in our case, with his nail-scarred hands. And he lifts us up to newness of life. If you've not come to Jesus through faith and repentance and baptism, now's the time. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't sink. Don't drown. Don't die lost. And for those that are Christians, may we ever pray, God, help us to keep our focus on Jesus. And God, please help us to keep our trust in Jesus. Because when we listen to anyone else or see anything else, it tends to cause us to sink. Let us stand and sing.